0: Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I am not one of the pastors here, as already indicated. Uh, My name is Ben Keller. I am one of the board members here at the church. Um, And uh, every once in a while, the pastors will ask me to to share a message with you just to kind of remind you how good you have it with them. So so just keep in mind, that's the point of this whole thing. Um, I do want to real quick share a little news from the board perspective rather than the pulpit perspective. As of this last week, this building that we're in right now has paid off. We are, we have been really blessed, we've been really blessed, I'm a little little hot in the monitors here, Dave, Uh, been really blessed as a church body financially and and we've been blessed with this building from the, the congregation who, who uh, provided it to us beforehand. And, and so here we are with this building, our mortgage paid off with money in the bank. Um, God has really, really provided for us over the last several years. So what we will do very soon is we will take that physical paper mortgage and we will use it to light a barbecue out back and we'll have a party, okay? All right, well, We've got a lot to cover because I'm a little over-ambitious sometimes with these things. So I wanted to teach out of one little passage today. And As I read that passage, I thought, you know, we need a little context before that, so we better back up a little bit. And I thought, well, we better back up a little more to get a little more context. Before I know it, I want to teach out of 2 Corinthians, and I'm thinking, we need 1 Corinthians, and then we need Acts, and we probably need, we probably need the Gospels before that. But we can't do that. We can't cover all that. But I do want to, uh, to cover a lot of ground today. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna jump into we're gonna jump into scripture right away. Um, if you've got if you've got a Bible, please open it up to Second Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, or don't have um, it loaded on your your uh, phone or something, there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you. Go ahead and use that. And in fact, I'll tell you this: if you don't own a Bible, you can just take that one that's in the seat in front of you and keep it. Just don't tell the pastors I said that, but it's our gift to you. We have free Bibles in the back too. Okay, I've got official permission from the pastor. We've got free Bibles in the back. Uh, on the window in the back? They're on the TV, under the TV. Okay, uh, so under the TV in the back. If you need a Bible, take a Bible. We want everyone to be armed with a Bible. So, uh, all right, right, Second Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up at verse... Four. And I'm going to be skipping through some of this. I just want to give us a little background here, a little context as we get, get going in this. So I'm in, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. So this is Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's given a little explanation to his ministry, to... to um, to build some foundation to the church in Corinth so they have some trust. They're, under a lot of, they're hearing a lot of false teaching and he's trying to explain to them, no, you heard from me once, we've already been there, we've explained this to you, now here's why you need to tune into what we're telling you, not what these other false teachers are saying. So he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So notice he mentioned there in verse 6, we're ministers of a new covenant. That new covenant he refers to is is the coming of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and and fulfilling the law that existed prior to Christ's sacrifice. So that's the new covenant. And he goes on in verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face... Because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, let me pause real quick there, that ministry of condemnation, and he mentioned it at the beginning of verse 7, the ministry of death, carved in stone, he's talking about the law, he's talking about the old uh, uh, law of Moses that kind of governed the nation of Israel before. So if that was the old covenant, which has now been replaced by the coming of Christ, He's referring to that old covenant when he talks about the ministry of death or the ministry of condemnation. Some of your Bibles might say the ministry that leads to death instead of the ministry of death. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, I'm in verse 10, uh, has has come to have glory, no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. So again, referring to the new covenant, the glory of the new covenant that surpasses the glory of the old covenant. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The new covenant is permanent. What Christ brings to us is permanent. The old law was temporary, all right? Verse 12, and again, I'm just giving you some context here. I haven't even started yet, all right? So I'm just giving you some context here. Since we have such a hope, that hope is the new covenant, verse 12, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face. So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For, this, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. So that veil that he's referring to, that's the separation of God's people from God. God's people separated from God's glory by this veil. And he's saying by the coming of Christ, that veil is lifted, and we now have a direct relationship with God and exposed to His glory, which we'll talk about more here in a minute. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Some of you might have ever increasing glory that's being revealed in us. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. Right, and we're going to pause right there. I'm going to recap a little bit. So, what Moses is saying is man was separated from God because of, of man's sin, but God provided this old covenant, God provided this sacrificial system. Where, where man could come before the, the, the temple and make sacrifices, shed blood to kind of band-aid over their sins so they could have a relationship with God. And, and that was provided, but they knew they had to provide sacrifices for their sins. The reason they knew about their sins was because of the law. The law was brought to say, look how, how short you fall of my glory. Look, you, you don't, you're not holy like I'm holy, so, and you can see that plainly in the law. Do you do all these things? No, you fall short. So because you fall short, you have to provide some kind of sacrifice. And, and, and that sacrifice, an ox here, a sheep there, a dove, that was kind of good enough to maintain this kind of veiled relationship with God. But that's not perfect. What, what made it perfect was when Jesus came and says, you know what? I feel bad for all those ox and sheep and doves, let's not kill them anymore, I'm gonna be it, right? That's not really what his mentality was, but I'm gonna be it, I'm gonna be that sacrifice. Jesus dies to pay the price of the the sin, wage of sin is death, Jesus pays that price, no more sacrifice, and because he's a better sacrifice than a cow, now that debt is paid in full, and it's not a band-aid sacrifice, it's a payment once and for all sacrifice. So because of that perfect sacrifice, now we can have direct relationship with God the way he intended to have relationship with us. So what, he, what Paul's saying in this part, and I want to gloss over this part, At the very end of chapter three, he says, and we all with unveiled face. So without a separation between us and God, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, so we're beholding the glory of the Lord. We're reflecting, we're we're shining the glory of the Lord with our lives, are being transformed into the same image, that same image of the Spirit, the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. So that, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's all about, is, is for us in our lives to take on the glory of God and to be able to shine the glory of God to the world around us. It's like, it's like when a superhero all of a sudden realizes that they have these superpowers. They're just walking through life as a normal dude one day, and then all of a sudden they realize, wow, I've got this superpower. They put on a ring or get bit by a spider or whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden, bam, they take on this power, and now they're like indestructible. They can fly. They can swing a hammer around and, and destroy the world, whatever they want. They've got this superpower all of a sudden. That's, that's what Christ offers to us is when we take on this glory, all of a sudden we are reflecting. We're not... We're not becoming God, but we're reflecting the glory of God in our lives. And that should be really exciting to us, because that, that's, that's perfect, right? That's what we all hope for. But the reality is, is we don't always feel like that, right? I mean, some of us don't feel like, man, I've been fulfilled by the glory of God. I, I, am, I am now a superhero, right? We don't have that feeling of strength. And, and that's what's going to lead us into the next part of our, our passage here. So Paul then, in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, "...therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God," so having this, this calling to share the gospel of the new covenant, "...we do not lose heart." So we do not lose heart, meaning we, we, we persevere, we stick to it, we, we, we keep doing this ministry... But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if so, so what he's saying there is look, we're going to proclaim this new covenant of God because it's true and it's changed our lives. We want it to change your life too. But it, but what we're not going to do, even though we think it's super important for you to buy into this, we're not going to manipulate it or manipulate you. We're not going to change the truth of what we're proclaiming to make it more enticing to you. We're not going to we're not going to uh, try to manipulate you because because we could do that if we if we were interested in just more people joining the Jesus Club. But what we want is transformed hearts, not just more people joining the Jesus Club, right? And so he said, we're not we're not going to do that We're not going to bend the truth of the gospel just to make you happier, to invite more people to join. And even if our gospel uh, verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what he's saying is, we're going to proclaim the truth, and some of you are just not going to hear it, right? And we're not going to change the truth to try to get you to, to hear it or join our club, but you're just not going to hear it because you're being veiled by the God of this world. You're being blinded by, by the work of Satan in your life. And, and we'll keep praying for you and we'll keep sharing truth with you. But the reality is, and the reality is some of you in this room aren't, aren't going to hear me. Some of, the, some of you in this room aren't going to hear the message God has to share today. Because you just, you got blinders on that that Satan's putting in your life. That doesn't mean you won't eventually. All right. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And that last three words there is important, for Jesus' sake. That's why he's doing, he's doing this ministry for Jesus' sake, for the glory of Jesus' For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that, verse 6, I'm going to repeat that. For God, who said, let sh- let light shine out of darkness, has shone, that's, that's, that's like, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, God has chosen our lives, our hearts, he wants to use our hearts to shine the light of the glory of Jesus Christ to a dark world. He's using us to do that. He's using us to shine that light, all right? Okay, we still haven't started yet, just so you know. All right, so verse (laughs) 7, verse 7, be patient with me, all right? Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What treasure? The treasure is what we just talked about there in verse 6 before that. The treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We have this shining light of Jesus Christ, the, the glory of our Lord and Savior. We have that treasure. All right? Where do we have it? In jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What's that mean? Well, the jars of clay, that's our body. The, the jar of clay, that's, that's your physical body here on earth all right? And you have that treasure in that jar of clay. Why in a jar of clay? That doesn't make any sense, right? If you've got this beautiful light to shine, you're going to put it in a glass see-through lantern so everyone can see it, right? But he doesn't. He puts it in a, in a, in a clay pot, right? Can you, if you put a candle in a clay pot, what are you going to see? A clay pot, right? But if you turn all the lights out, are you going to see any light shine through that clay pot? you're going to see light shine through wherever there's imperfections in that clay pot. If there's a crack in that clay pot, or if there's thin clay in some spots, you're going to see some light shine through. You're only going to see the light shine through the imperfections of the clay pot. If there's not any imperfections in that clay pot, you're not going to see the light shine through. Okay, So let's look at that in the light of what Paul says here. So he puts, God puts this light of glory in our bodies, in our clay pot, our jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, right? So when God does this, you're only going to see God's glory through the imperfection of us. You're going to see God's perfection only through our imperfection, Okay? In our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. There's there's a purpose, there's a purpose, a a divine design to God shining his glory through our imperfect bodies, through our imperfect human condition. And what it does is it points to God's perfection, all right? So he's saying, we're carrying around these bodies and and we're persecuted, we're we're beat up, we're but we're not destroyed. Our bodies take on all this stuff, but we're not destroyed. And and the reason we're not destroyed is because God has a perfect purpose for what we're going through in this human condition. Our our flesh, our mortal flesh, the body that we're living in is imperfect and sometimes gets sick and sometimes gets broken and sometimes just gets worn out. And what that does is it's a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. Wearing this flesh, this imperfect flesh that will wear out and die, is a picture that we're walking around in of the truth that Jesus' flesh died. The body Jesus came to earth in died, all right? But the reason we're walking around to highlight, to to point to the death of Jesus so that we can point to the life of Jesus, right? The, The spiritual resurrection of Jesus, the last thing he says here is, so death, uh, in verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Right? So what he's saying there is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm Paul, and I've got this worn out body, and it's, I make mistakes, and I screw up, and, and I'm sick sometimes, and I'm, I'm partially worn out. I am wearing this picture of physical death, and I'm sharing with you so that death is at work in me, physical death is at work in me, so I can point you to spiritual life, so when he says there in verse 12, death is at work in us, that means him and his ministers, his partners in ministry, physical death is at work in us, but life in you. The life is spiritual, the death is physical, what he's referring to here. All right, chapter, or still in chapter 4, verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and that, that I believe and so I spoke is a quote from psalm. And he's saying, we also believe, and so we speak. So we have this this belief in that what we're telling you is true, so we feel compelled to speak. We feel compelled to share it with you. Why? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Back to verse 15. For it is all for your sake. Is it all for their sake? Well, kind of, but that's not the end goal because the sentence keeps going. It's for your sake. We're sharing this with you so that you would be transformed. Why would we want you to be transformed? Well, so that as grace extends to more and more people, as more and more lives are transformed by the grace of God, by the ministry of this new covenant, As more and more people receive this grace, it increases thanksgiving. As more people receive this grace, more people are grateful and acknowledge that God has done this in them, and what does that do? To the glory of God. So we're doing this, Paul says, we're trying to transform lives, not just so that you have full bellies. Not so that you've made your mortgage payment, not so that you have a more comfortable life here on earth, but we're doing it so that your life can be transformed. And the reason we want your life transformed is because through a collection of transformed lives, we bring glory to God. That is what Paul is saying is his purpose for this. It's not just to please people, make people better off here in this life. It's so that we can keep an eternal focus and glorify God in eternity. All right, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. He's repeating that. He started that. He said that before. Remember in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, we do not lose heart, meaning we hang with it. We dig in. We keep on keeping on. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's our body, right? That's our jar of clay. (laughs) I heard an amen there from an old man. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Where do we see a reference to our inner self a little bit ago? We saw at the very end of, verse, or of chapter 3. We bounce back to the end of chapter 3. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So he's saying that again. Our inner self, right? Our inner, not, our, not our outer jar of clay that's wasting away, our inner self is being transformed into the image of the glory of God. He says that again here in verse 16. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our spirit, okay? Our spirit is what's being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, right? This, this life where we're dwelling in this jar of clay, that's a momentary affliction, is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All right? So what he's saying here, again, is that the reason you're going through this life here on earth, this light momentary affliction, is simply to prepare you for an eternity that's greater than you can even comprehend. That's the purpose of life, is to prepare you for eternal life. All right? So right, so what's this mean here? Paul is saying, okay, we've got the glory of God that comes to the spirit of God to dwell in us. And that seems like that ought to be awesome, but we don't always feel awesome, right? Sometimes we just get exhausted wearing this body right? So I can get you guys all fired up for Jesus, right? You get all amped up, man, I want to go honor God, and maybe last Sunday you felt the same thing, and you're, you're on fire, you got a soul on fire, you're singing third day walking out the door, and as soon as you get out the sidewalk, you stub your toe, I'm like, dang it, oh, ow, that hurt really bad, and the fire's gone, because the, the pain of this body just kind of can, can pause that sometimes, right? And maybe it's not you stub your toe, but, but you're reminded when you wake up in the morning, oh, I'm tired, I'm sore, oh, I'm hungry, Oh, I'm dealing with this in my life. And it can suck the fire out of your spiritual zeal. Wearing this body. And so Paul says, we keep on keeping on. We press on. We do not lose heart. He, He needs to give himself this pep talk. Paul, don't lose heart. Paul, don't lose heart. I know this body is hard to wear around. I know this life is hard. But you've got a spiritual purpose. You've got a glorious eternal purpose that's, that's waiting for you. So he says that's that's what keeps him going. Not this momentary affliction, but knowing that there is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison ahead of him. So the lesson here for us is life is hard sometimes where in this body in this earth. But what we have to do is keep this eternal perspective. How do we do that? How do we keep moving forward? with the fire for for God. Verse 18 is the answer. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Not to the things that are seen. The things that are seen are eternal this life, or what you see here on earth. Are other people, are things, are your relationships, are history? All that is the things that are seen. What happens in this life here on this globe, from when you are born to when you, your body dies, that's the things that are seen. And all that, even your marriage vows, all that is transient. It, 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 it ends at your death, all right? And he's saying, it's temporary. It doesn't last. All right? If you focus on those things, you're not going to have enough fuel to get through this, this ministry. But instead, focus on the things that are unseen. What are those? Well, we see at the end of it, those are the things that are eternal. right? The things that are seen are transient. The things that are eternal, that's where our focus needs to be. That's what keeps Paul going in this ministry. That's what gives Paul the fire to not lose heart, even when, he's, even when life's hard, even when he's being stoned, even when he's uh, in a ship lost at sea, even when he's got his own pains he's dealing with. He doesn't lose heart because he keeps his focus on, on eternity. All right, now that's, that's easy to say, right? It's easy to say, okay, let's just keep our, our mind on eternal things. But that's, it's, it's not that easy to put into practice because of the power of the flesh. The power of the flesh is a big deal and it can, take, it can really captivate us. All right, now that I've read all that, I'm ready to start. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. I hope you're comfortable, not too comfortable. All right. <clears throat> so what we want to talk about now is how do we orient our lives so that we are focused on the things unseen, on the things eternal. So Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm in um, chapter six of Matthew verse 19. Jesus says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, but where, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust or, nor, where neither moth nor dust, rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is saying more than just don't put your faith in material things. It's, it's more than that. that I don't have to, no one has to preach that to anybody. Everyone knows not put your faith in material things. Now, sometimes we do, but everyone knows that's, that's not right. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty elementary, right? We know that, but this is more than that. What this is saying is what's motivating you? Where your treasures? what he means is, what's driving you? The motivation you put in your life to drive you, is it things of this earth? Is it the things that are seen? Is it treasures on earth? Or is it the things eternal, the treasure in heaven? Where your, where your treasures, your heart will be also. Where's our heart supposed to be? Well, Jesus says that also a, a few chapters later in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, right? That's where your heart ought to be, loving the Lord your God with all of it. But instead, sometimes we we don't quite do that. So so that's where our heart should be. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, you you do that by building up treasure in heaven, by keeping your your driving motivation focused on me and things eternal, not things of this earth. Now, the reality is, though, the things of this earth are not irrelevant, we have physical needs. We get hungry. Some of you might be hungry right now. We we get tired. We get broken. We get diseases. We get sicknesses. We have hard relationships. We have all these things, and they're they're true and they're real and they impact us. In fact, we need sustenance, physical sustenance, right? And we see that even in in uh, later on in Matthew six here, over in thirty three, Jesus says, you know, he said, I, I get that you have these physical needs, but trust me, if you seek me first. If you pursue me, if you store up treasure in heaven by focusing on the eternal, I will provide what you need. It might not look like you think, but I will give you what you need, what I determine you need. I will meet your needs in my discretion, but you gotta focus on me. You gotta focus on treasure in heaven. You gotta focus on the things unseen, the things eternal. The things of this earth Are real and they're part of our lives. We're a part of that, right? Like I said, we have physical needs. We get hungry, um, we get broken. But the thing, the physical needs are subordinate to our spiritual truth, our spiritual self, okay? So, what I mean by that is you understand spiritual truth. Through your physical life, through your physical experiences, you come to understand spiritual truth. No one goes to the doctor and says, hey, look, doc, I've got this weird feeling in me. I'm not sure what it is. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, doc, how when I get up in the morning and I just kind of feel empty and then I pray and I, I have this time with God and, and I, then I just feel fulfilled and satisfied? It's kind of like that except it's in my stomach. Oh, I get it. You're hungry, right? No, that doesn't happen. We don't experience spiritual truth in order to understand our physical needs. It's the other way around. We experience physical hunger, thirst, a brokenness, so that we can understand God's spiritual reality in our lives. This is how Jesus taught. Jesus would, would start with, and it's more than You guys have probably, if you've heard me speak, I've probably said this. I think I say it every time I speak. And if you do small group with me, you've heard it at least a thousand times. All of creation, all of creation, all of creation is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. You can do it with all things. Plants, rocks, trees, uh, the mountains, the stars, things in creation, right? It all, it all paints a picture of some spiritual truth. I like Jeannie Brooks would say that, you know, you put this jagged... Rough, ugly rock in the water in a river here, and it comes out over here, and all of a sudden it's this beautiful, smooth rock. That's that's a picture of our lives, right? Man, sometimes we go through some pains, we get tossed around, we get beat up, but when we come out the other side, we're more beautiful than when we came in. We're more polished, right? That that's that's an example. Jesus taught about uh, being the vine. He used he used this physical picture. Did you know that even the history is a pic, even, even, even the history we read in the Bible is a picture of spiritual truth for us. So for instance, the nation of Israel. I'll bet, I'll bet the entire history of the nation of Israel is a biography of your life to some extent or another. If you look at the nation of Israel and say, man, that is, that is me, right? I know what God wants, I mean I know right from wrong. Even if you don't know that that's from God, at some point in your life you've known right from wrong but you've chosen wrong. And then, and then something gets your attention. God gets your attention and says, oh, fix it, correct it. You get back on track and it lasts for a little while. Then you, you mess up again. You're like, okay, I messed up again. God fixed me again. And you're back at it. You have this kind of back and forth, right? And, and you go through ups and downs and you go through, through parts of life. That's the nation of Israel. And I'll bet that's your life to some degree or another. So the history of the nation of Israel is to teach us. Ben, look, look at what this nation went through. That's your life. Orient yourself to me. Jesus taught like this all the time. He would start his lessons when he would interact with people. Oh, you're thirsty? Let me teach you about being the the, the eternal water, that you'll never thirst again. You're hungry? I'm the bread of life. You're blind? I can fix that. I can fix your blindness. But really, let let me show you how your eyes can truly be open to truth. Jesus would always start with someone's physical need, malady, uh, whatever the case may be. Start there meet that or use that to teach them a a spiritual truth in their life. He would start with the physical. He would start with the things that are seen so that he can lead them to the things unseen. Look at Jesus' life, right? Jesus came to be a physical being. The man Jesus Christ was, at that point, a thing that is seen. His body was not eternal at that point, right? His body was, was perishable. It was a thing seen. Jesus, God, in his ultimate wisdom, sent his son to become a thing seen so that we can learn a spiritual truth and have a spiritual blessing in eternity. He started as a thing seen so that we can see the unseen. So how does this play out in people's lives in the Bible where we see this? One of my favorite stories is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this would be found in, in Daniel chapter three in your Bible. You don't have to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to touch on it real quick. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was, this was generations before Jesus was alive. They're taken captive and from, from Israel to Babylon, and the king builds a statue of himself and says, all right, everyone's got everyone's to worship me. And these three dudes said, nope, we're not worshiping that. We're not doing it. The king says, you better do it, or I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace and kill you, and they say, you know what, throw us in the fiery furnace, because our God is so great. Our God is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. That's how powerful our God is. But even if he doesn't, even if he chooses not to deliver us from the fiery furnace, man, King, you're still not going to get our praise. We're, We're still devoted to our eternal God. So their focus, you see, is focused on the things unseen, their focus is on glory of God, not saving their own skin. They could have really easily turned their focus to the things seen and said, you know what, this is going to hurt really bad to go in a fiery furnace. I don't like the idea of that. Let's just let's just say a quick prayer to this, this statue and do it. They didn't do that. They didn't succumb to the things that were seen. King David also, he, he had this opportunity to, to kill King Saul, who is trying to kill him. And he said, you know what? That's not for me. God's got a, God's got a purpose for putting this king in place. Even though he's trying to kill me and I have this opportunity to offer him right now, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Because that would satisfy my flesh. And that makes sense in the world of the seen. But that doesn't make sense in the world of the unseen. In, in both, both these situations, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King David, they're blessed here on earth through, through their choices. But that doesn't always work out that way, Right? John the Baptist, same thing. He, he's, he's convicted to preach what he is believes is true and is of God, and he stands firm in it, and it causes him to be incarcerated. But he still stands firm in it, and he gets his head cut off, right? I mean, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes, even though we're standing firm in truth and focused on the things that are seen, it doesn't result in a restoration here on, on this earth. That's not where our hope is. See, John the Baptist, it still turned out okay for him, I promise you, even though he lost his head here on earth because that's a thing that is seen, not the things that is unseen. That's transient. That body he, he was in that all of a sudden became separated from its head, he's still, he's still good, right? John's still good. He's like, man, I didn't need that head after all anyway, right? Up in heaven as he's enjoying the glory of God in which he was being transformed in. Other people don't have their focus. Other people we see in the Bible don't have their focus on the things that are seen. Ananias and Sapphira. So this is in, in Acts, in the, in the early church. Pe- people are selling their stuff. Hey, let's, all, let's gather all our stuff. We can meet each other's needs. And they say, yeah, let's, let's do that too, but let's only kind of do it. Let's sell this property and take some of it and give it to the church, but we'll just kind of keep a little nest egg for ourselves. But they did it in secret. And so they, they go to the church and, and to the church, they just say, here, here's the money from selling our land. Is that all the money from selling your land? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all of it. Well, you're lying. You're not only lying to yourself, you're lying to God, and now you die, and they die. That's kind of how it can go. See, see, their focus was on the things seen. They're like, you know, we're kind of committed to the things unseen. We kind of want to buy in, but we also want to preserve our own safety here on earth by, by holding back a little bit. And they're... Focus was on the things seen. They were storing up for themselves treasure on earth. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to I follow you. I want to I be with you, Jesus. He says, okay, what do you got? He says, man, I've, I've, I've followed all the commandments. Man, I'm good. I'm, I'm a golden boy, right? That's, sign me up. I'm ready. He says, okay, good. Uh, let's, let's do this thing. Go home, sell everything you own, and then we'll get on with it, right? We'll rock this ministry thing. Uh, okay, well, maybe this isn't the perfect time for me to join your club, Jesus, because I'm not sure I want to sell everything I own. That's kind of asking a lot. Like, everything I own? Yeah, everything you own. He wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to part with his treasures on earth. His focus was on the things seen, not unseen. All right, so these different examples in the Scripture Um. They kind of help us, but let's, let's look at our own lives. How does this work? So sometimes we have what we might consider bad circumstances that we're going through, right? You might have a hard time. You might be sick. You might um, have, have you know, lost a loved one. And it's, it's hard in these times, these difficult times. It's, it's harder in those difficult times to keep your focus on the things eternal sometimes because it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging. That's the reality of it. And all too often, our bad circumstances are unfortunately a result of our own choices. And, and, and that's probably true of a lot of us. In here. That's, that's been true of me, right? That's been true of a lot of, of you at different points of your life. In the psalmist in Psalm 40, he writes about this. He says, you know what? I'm in a bad place, and I'm in a bad place because I transgressed. But I call out to God, and God rescues me. So sometimes our bad circumstance, our earthly, physical pain that is seen, can derail us. And sometimes that's caused by our own, our own maladies, our own poor decisions. But let me tell you that this is important. Hear this. If you're in a bad spot because of your own choices and that's got you down, you need to hear this. You need to know that you have not failed God. You have not failed God because you chose wrong. You might have failed yourself. You might have fallen short, like all of us do, right? But you haven't failed God. Because in order to fail God, you would have had to have somehow thwarted his plan. You would have had to somehow upset what he had in store for somebody else. And you can't do that, no matter how many bad choices you make. God God can still orchestrate glory through our mistakes. Look at King David, his ugliest transgression. He commits adultery, and then he offs the lady's husband, and then he has this baby that dies. But even in that, even in that horrible transgression he commits, one of the most beautiful lives that we see in all of history is born in King Solomon. Now, again, he made his own choices to kind of screw that up, but what you see is God is not derailed by our bad choices. It, it, it's not that God is use, God is intending for us to make bad choices, but God already sees that play out, and God already, God already has that perfect orchestration for how to use our our shortcomings and our failures. It's not that we're failing God. You have not failed God by making bad decisions in your life. Moses' fear that he wasn't good enough to to lead the nation of Israel led to Aaron being a part of his ministry. So again, Moses' failures led to something beautiful, this beautiful partnership between him and Aaron. Jonah epically failed, right? I mean, he he couldn't hardly do anything right in the book of Jonah. But God used his stumbling and bumbling following of God to to give us one of the most memorable stories in all of history and to lead a very unlikely people to reconciliation. You you know, some of us, I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit. I had intended to ask him if I could do this beforehand, and I forgot. So I'm just going to roll the dice. Uh, I, I think he's a forgiving and gracious man. Where's my brother, Mitch? Mitch. All right, so Mitch has some of the best stories, you guys. If you ever, if you ever get a chance to sit around the fire and talk to, talk to Mitch about some of his stories, I promise you, you will laugh, you'll be entertained, and you'll love him all the more. All right? Some of Mitch's stories, though might paint the picture of a young man who doesn't always honor God with his choices, right? Much like most of our stories when we were younger. But what is neat about Mitch is Mitch took this life he had lived that didn't always honor God, and he is able to take that and use that as a ministry to people in his life to touch them in ways that they never could have been touched before. So much like Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians where he says, Man, the, the, the death that's at work in me is to bring life to you. So Mitch was able to take all the mistakes he made as a youth and say, I'm going to take all that picture of death in my life and point it to life, spiritual life and the lives around me. All right? So God, God does that through our lives, even through our bad decisions and mistakes. But not all of our bad circumstances are the result of our own poor decisions. Sometimes it's just the way it goes. It may not be a particular sin in your life that has caused you to be struck with a a, a disease that seems incurable. Sometimes sometimes it's not a particular sin that that caused a loved one to get in a car wreck and become severely injured or, or, or deceased. Some of you have lost a child. Not because of a particular sin, but that's the circumstance you have. Some of you can't bear children. That's not what I mean. I sometimes can't bear my children either. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Sometimes these circumstances, these things that that are seen get us down, and they're not a result of our sin. It's just our circumstance. And we call them bad, right? It seems bad. It seems bad when someone has cancer. But it might not seem bad to the person whose life is now connected to God because of that right? So circumstances that we call bad, sometimes they're not bad. They're just the circumstances. And it feels bad, and it's painful, and it's hard, but it's, it's still God orchestrating this thing, right? So we've got to bear with the thing. It's bad if you're only looking at the scene. If you're only looking at the treasure on earth, if you're only looking in, in this little globe surrounded by, by this atmosphere, those things are just bad. But if you're looking at eternity... They're not good or bad. They're just part of the plan. We've been talking in our small group a lot. Um, we're doing a study on heaven. And one of the things we've been talking about is this C.S. Lewis picture of, of the dot and the line, right? So the dot, the dot, picture is a dot is kind of, that's life here on earth. And your life is like a little speck on that dot, right? But eternity is the line that just keeps going, right? And so often we get focused on the dot. And the dot consumes us. How do we get out of the dot? How do we get through the dot? How do we enjoy the dot? How do I survive the dot? We forget about eternity. If if you're going through one of these hard times, if you're you're suffering from an addiction, if, if you have an incurable disease, if you've lost a child, if you're suffering in a relationship, that's the dot. Keep in mind that there's a purpose, a glorious, a glorious eternal purpose on the line for what you're going through. Look, I know your circumstances are hard. I know some of you are suffering through addiction. I know that's true. And you just want, man, how do I get, why can't I get released from this thing? Some of you, are, you know, have a diagnosis that's hard. Some of you are just, you know, the body wears out. And you're like, man, this getting old thing is not for me. I, I'm not enjoying this, right? But that's part of it. That's, that's the things that are, are seen. In all that, in all that, There's a perfect goal. So look at Jesus' life. I I bet whatever you're going through is probably not worse than what Jesus went through, right, as a human in his final days. Man, the poor guy was just ripped to pieces. I mean, just beat up, humiliated, spit upon, pierced, hung on a cross. He went through all this. And the whole time he's going through this, he just keeps his chin up. And he, and he does it. He does it. And Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Not for the joy he got to experience on the cross. That's not joy. It's not fun to get hung on a cross. It doesn't feel good to get hung on a cross. But for the eternal perspective he had, he endured this, this mortal thing. He endured this, this thing that was seen so that he could enjoy the joy set before him in eternity. That's where our perspective needs to be. What am I going through? Yeah, it's hard. It stinks, but man, there's a joy set before me in eternity. What is that? I don't know all the time, but let me focus on that. Now, Jesus could have called down legions of angels and just man lit up the people that were his enemies. He could have just and just destroyed him, said, I've had enough of this. I don't want to tolerate you anymore. I'm tired of you spitting on me. I'm tired of you beating me. We're done. Bam! That's what I would have done, right? I, I get a kick out of, earlier in his ministry, the, the sons of Zebedee, they're like disappointed and the people are like, Jesus, shall we call down fire on these people? He's like, no, you baffoons, we shouldn't call down fire on them, right? That's These guys were were... They were looking at treasures on earth. They were looking at the things that were seen. Let's fix it here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's fix it there. In our spirits. Not in what we see, but what is unseen. That's what we got to fix. Fix the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. My computer's bailing on me here, so I must be getting close to done. All right. So... So this is what Christ meant when he says, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. He doesn't mean that in this world you have trouble, but I will make your troubles go away. He doesn't say in this world you will have trouble, but I'm going to soften the blow for you. He doesn't say that. Otherwise, John would still have a head at the end of, at the, end of the Gospels, right? Right? He says, in this world you have trouble, but, I will, but I've overcome the world. I've, over, I've overcome the things that are seen. You don't have to worry about fixing the things that are seen. Worry about the things that are unseen, because that's what I've given you. That's where the restoration is, and the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. Too many of us are struggling through difficult times, yearning for restoration Now. Yearning to have our bodies fixed, our addictions fixed, our pain fixed. We're yearning for that restoration in this life. Some of you will get it, right? Some of us get to enjoy that as a privilege, right? But that should not be the expectation. That's not where our mind ought to be. Our mind needs to be on the things that are unseen, What Jesus says, in this world you have trouble, but I've overcome the world. What he means is, on the other side of your troubles, I have a glorious future for you. I have a glorious future beyond anything you can imagine in store for you on the other side of your troubles. On the other side of the dot. On the other side of what you're going through, you might not get fixed on this earth. You're, you're not going to. I promise you. I promise you eventually you're going to wear out. You're eventually going to go through hard times. Eventually, your bad relationship doesn't get fixed and it stays bad. Eventually, maybe that, that separation with a loved one you have, they stay gone. And it doesn't get fixed here on earth. I don't mean to get you down, but that's the reality of life in the dot is it doesn't always pan out the way we we, we hope it does. Because Jesus' promise is not that I'm going to fix your life and make you super happy here on earth. Jesus' promise is you might get your head cut off, but i got a glorious future for you. i got something glorious in store for you in the future, but your mind has to be there. A quick illustration is this. Jesus was talking about this. Jesus was talking about this right before he said, store up for yourselves, treasures in heaven. Right before that, he's saying, look, if you're going to give to the, the needy, If you're going to give to the people who are poor and help them out, don't go around tooting your trumpet about it, right? If you're going to pray to God and commune with God, don't do it in front of people so that they get to see it. Because the people that do that, they get the reward. And they do. They get a reward. The people who are are trumpeting how good they are, they get a reward. They get praise. They get adulation here on earth. But that's it. That's That's the reward. He says, they got it. That's the reward they get for that. They don't get anything else. But if you Give to the poor, if you pray to God, and you do it not for personal gain, but you do it for the glory of God, right? You don't give to the needy so that they're not needy anymore. You give to the needy so that they might have a picture, the physical, of a spiritual relationship with God. All of the physical world, even you giving to the poor, even you helping old ladies across the street, is not to meet their physical needs. It's so that through meeting their physical needs, they can have a relationship with God and glorify Him. All right? Got to stay focused on the eternal perspective. I want to close with Psalm 23. And when I say close, I mean we're getting closer, all right? So, All right, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm going to follow my Jesus, and he's going to guide me through and give me wonderful things. But he goes on here and says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear... So, so what he's saying here is, look, I'm going to follow my Jesus, and I know my Jesus has beautiful things in store for me that give me rest and give me peace. But it's not always going to be rest and peace. There's, there's hard times. Sometimes I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, what's that mean? I can't remember who I heard. It might have been Pastor Mike. Somebody I heard say lately, you know, it's like if you're standing on the road or next to the road. Would you rather get hit by a truck... Would you rather get run over by the truck or would you rather get run over by the shadow of the truck? I'm going to pick the shadow. How about you guys? I'm going to pick the shadow. So right here he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. If I'm following Jesus, I don't have to get run over by the truck. I'm only getting run over by the shadow of the truck. right? So, but, but even then, it's still kind of scary to get run over by the shadow of a truck. So death has come and death is there, death is real. But if I'm following Jesus, even when death is scary, I don't have to fear it because I'm following Jesus. The shadow of death is going to nail me, man. And sometimes that feels scary and that's hard. Sometimes that's the trial in our lives we're going through. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I experience, man, difficult times on this earth, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and thy staff are a picture of God's spiritual protection in our lives. When you, when you get on the computer and you're about to look at images that don't honor God, there's not a rod that's going to grab you and pull you. There's not a physical staff that's going to come out and smash your computer to bits to protect you from that. That ain't going to happen, right? If, if you're about to go to the liquor store, right, God's not going to grab you with a physical rod and protect you from that. The rod and the staff, come comfort me. The rod and the staff, they protect me spiritually. His rod and his staff, it comforts me even though I walk into the liquor store even though I engage in this relationship, even though I'm gossiping about an image-bearer of God, even though I'm doing these things, his rod and his staff, they will protect my spirit. I can still have hope, even even in my stupid self. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, King David wrote this. He's not saying that I'm going to get to enjoy a a turkey in front of my enemies. In front of my enemies. He's not saying I'm physically going to have this beautiful feast in front of my enemies on earth. This is a heavenly promise. This is an eternal promise. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I screw up. I've screwed up. I've got enemies. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. But God, you've got a feast prepared for me. You're not tolerating me, God. You're wanting to celebrate me like the prodigal, Father. Wanting, that's, that's what God has in store for us is this, this feast. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. When you're in the grace of God, when you're following God, this is, this is a picture of that eternal glory Paul was talking about back in 2 Corinthians. There's a feast prepared for you. He doesn't want to just like, all right, well, you've been pretty bad, but I'll let you in anyways, just kind of sit in the corner of heaven. Oh, that's not what he's promised. He's promised you celebrate. I want to celebrate you. Come in. Enjoy this feast. That's what he has in store for you. That is the line, not the dot. You go through the valley of the shadow of death and the dot. You enjoy the feast with God on the line. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this life can be hard on you. I know you can go through difficult times. But take Paul's advice. Put your focus on the things unseen, not the things that are seen. You will run out of gas. You will lose your zeal. You will fail in your flesh if you're relying on that. But you can endure all things to keep your focus on eternity. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you love us enough to give us this hope. That you, that you Lord, give us the New covenant, that you died for us, that we might not just be saved or safe, but be celebrated, that we get to share in your glory, Lord, that we get to exalt you all the days of our life. And then some. Lord, I pray for the hearts of those that are here, that, that you would bring healing where, where healing needs it, uh, in the physical or the spiritual God. I pray, Father, that as we leave here, the zeal that we might pick up would carry as we keep our focus on you. As, As Peter had his eyes on you on the water, he was able to stay on top, but as soon as he took his eyes off you, off your goodness, he sank. Help us to stay afloat, God, by keeping our eyes on you and the things that are eternal. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.